Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 7. We're going to pick up where we left off. I've entitled our Bible study, You're Only Safe in the Ark. You're Only Safe in the Ark. And as we've been studying through Genesis, it's such a rich, fulfilling Bible study as God reveals so much to us of what we need to know about our origins, who we are, who he is, insights on his love and redemption and restoration. And the major focus, remember, in Genesis starts in chapter 12. Chapters 1 through 11 are very foundational, and they lay for us a framework for the rest of the Bible, understanding our origins and where we came from. Every key doctrine in the Bible is revealed here in the first 11 verses. But God gets really serious starting in chapter 12 when it comes to the unveiling of the lineage of Messiah, of the coming of Jesus, as he begins to highlight Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, we learn about creation and the flood and judgment, the repopulation of the earth, grace, forgiveness, yes. But it's Jesus that the Bible is pointing to on every page. It is the redemption of mankind. It is the forgiveness of sin. It is the restoration of all things. Go back with me to verse 14 of chapter 6 by way of review. You remember the instruction was given, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and outside. This is how you're going to make it. You know, he gives you the, the measurements and where the window will be. And then he tells him in verse 17, I'm going to bring a flood of waters to destroy from under heaven all flesh and which is the breath of life and everything that is on the earth shall die. And, and we considered very briefly in our study last time how much of a weighty thing that must have been to hear. I mean, there is on the one hand a desire, God, judge, judge wickedness and judge sin and bring righteousness. Yes. But if we dwell too much on that side of things, then we will, we will not be living in mercy and grace and praying for our enemy and doing good to those that use us and despise us. And yes, they, they are fully deserving of the judgment of God and the time in this, the time period of the flood, they deserve it all. But have you forgotten that you deserve it all too? <laughs> like, is it just them? Is that always the way that the church is gonna act? It's just them. They deserve it. We're safe. We're in the ark. We follow Christ. We have the blood of Jesus. And, and so now all of a sudden, we, we don't remember where we came from. We, we don't remember the pit from which God delivered us. We don't remember that even to this moment in our prayer time, we're not praying to God, give us judgment, God. Go ahead. Give us what we deserve. But don't we come in the name of Jesus Christ asking for grace, asking for mercy, asking for forgiveness? And so it's true, God's going to do what he needs to do sovereignly. But for you and I, this represents families and moms and dads and kids and grandkids and, and what life existed. 
And I don't know that Noah receives the word and goes, oh, yay. But he had a long time to think about it. And he had a long time to consider it. And we know it's God's heart to save because the instruction was build a safety boat. Build a rescue boat. And that's how I want you to build it. Because judgment's coming. And isn't that a message we're still sharing today? God has provided a way of escape because judgment's coming. And there's an ark. It becomes a type and a picture of Jesus as we'll see. But notice here he says, again in chapter 6, he says everything's going to be judged, but then in verse 18 I'm going to establish my covenant with you. You go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And then he gives the instruction on bringing of the animals. If you like to write in your Bibles in verse 14 of chapter 6, you can mark that word ark. Ark. It's the Hebrew word tebah. And it's only used two times in the Bible. You may not be surprised by the two places either. You may be very familiar with the other place. The other place this Hebrew word is used is in Exodus chapter 2. It's a word used to describe the very ark that held baby Moses that brought salvation. One was saved from drowning and was destined to bring deliverance. And the other was to save from judgment, Noah. He brought deliverance to humanity while Moses brought deliverance to the nation of Israel. Notice in, it says in verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. We're not quite sure what that wood was. The prevailing, uh, the prevailing thought that gopher wood was probably some kind of cypress wood. But then he says in verse 14, make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is another important Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word where we get the word kafar. It's actually koper here, but we also have variations of it, kafar. And it means covering. It's the Hebrew word that's used for atonement. Atonement. The price paid for something in the Old Testament. The covering of the outward pitch would save them physically from the water seeping in, and the covering inside would keep them from sinking and drowning. It was to keep the ark floating upon the waters of judgment. And in comparison, when we look toward Jesus Christ, the covering of the blood of Jesus keeps the devil and keeps sin and death from taking us down to the pit of hell, from drowning in despair, in sin, and rebellion. Your life covered by the blood keeps you safe and protected. I, I'm reminded of what the psalmist says when he was just, one day he was just thinking, you know, God, you even take care of me when I sleep. What a vulnerable place you and I are in when we sleep. We, we can't pay any attention to anything about our protection or care. So each time when you lay your head down to sleep, you're trusting in the Lord to be your protector to cover, to take care of you and how faithful he's been. With that in mind, let's pick up in chapter seven in verse one. It says, then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and a female, and his female, two of each animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on all the face of the earth. 
Now, the text isn't exactly explicit here, but many believe that the instructions to build the ark, after the instructions to build the ark, God remained silent for 120 years. He's speaking to the world through Noah and his faithfulness. We learned this when we were studying Hebrew. Remember Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the Hall of Faith. Remember what it says about Noah here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7? It says, by faith... Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And again, when we were studying through 2 Peter, we learned in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. And it was through Noah's faithfulness that he becomes a preacher of righteousness. Now I'm certain he used his words as well, but much of his preaching was his life, was the ridicule that came upon him for building this monstrosity of a boat that really there was no concept of such a thing. The faithfulness of over and over and over. And it's here in chapter 7, verse 1, that if there was a complete silence, because the Bible doesn't really have God speaking, let's say there was a complete silence, that the silence is broken with these words, come into the ark. That was the word from God. He breaks silence, come into. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say go into, but rather it wasn't a command to, It was an invitation to. Not a command to, but rather an invitation to come in. It seems as if, you know, God would be, you know, the way the language is that God was waiting in the ark for Noah. Come on in. And God is saying to us over and over again, I wonder who, even now, God's saying, just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Just come to me. Come to me with all your burdens, all your concerns all your questions, all your hurts, come to me and I'll watch over you. I'll comfort you. I'll love you. I'll lead you. I'll protect you. I'll guide you. But you know, I can't really do anything until I come under the shadow of his wings, until I acknowledge my need. It's almost like God's reminding us that the place of complete peace is at the same place of complete trust. That that place of trust dispels all fears and anxieties. And I I think that we live in a place of trust and faith far more than we recognize because the times of faithlessness or worry and anxiety seem to capture our mind and we forget. We're so easily to forget the many moments of faith and trust. Even now as we're talking through the word of God and we're learning from him, some of you have already forgotten that you spent 10 minutes praying to God. Just seeking the Lord for 10 minutes, not a care in the world, not really concerned what's happening, not really worried about how the world is going or any of those concerns. You were just focused on, oh, that's an interesting thing that Caleb's showing us. I want to remember that. I want to remember to adore God in my prayer. I want to remember to confess my sin. I want to remember to be more thankful. I want to remember to pray for others, which is what supplication means. And the Lord just gave you 10 minutes of sweetness. And you know, those can be, you can have that all the time. It doesn't just happen here with a few people. 
You can have that time of full and complete trust as much as you would want. Because the Lord is saying, come to me. Bring those concerns. Bring that bill. You know, bring that situation. Bring those court papers. You know, come to me. Come to me. Come into the ark. This is the place that's safe. It's not safe outside, Noah. It's a time. Come in. And and I was thinking about how in the church world, there's so many arguments. People love to argue. And one of the things that there is so much argumentation over that is so unnecessary is this topic of altar calls. The invitation in a Bible study such as this, an invitation to come, uh, an invitation to repent, an invitation to turn away from your sin, an invitation to receive the forgiveness of sin, an invitation to leave your, that table and come and follow Jesus, the invitation, an altar call, the word, the phrase comes to us from, you know, the typical sense that the stage would represent an altar within churches, and they would even use that terminology. We don't quite use it here, but you could call this an altar if you'd like, a place of worship, a place of devotion, an altar call, come to the altar, come and repent, come and rededicate, come and so many are like, oh, no, no, you can't do that. Altar calls are not in the Bible. But I beg to disagree because an altar call very much speaks of the heart and nature of God. God is inviting people to himself all the time, all throughout the Bible. I'll give you a few of them. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, listen to God. Come now and let us reason together. You got issues with God? Go to him. He invites you. Come on, bring them. Let's talk about them. Let's reason together. How about Matthew chapter 11, verse 28? Come to me, all who labor and are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. From Genesis, Genesis chapter three, verse nine, we studied not too long ago. And then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? He didn't just let Adam run away. He pursued him and invited him into conversation. What do you think? You're going to run up? You know, he didn't go and go, you know, Adam, what kind of, what is your problem? You've already ruined the world and now you're trying to run away from me. No, no, no. Hey, Adam, where are you? Let's talk about this. Just an invitation to a conversation from Genesis to Revelation. Many of you are very familiar with one of the last invitations in the Bible. One of the last invitations in the Bible, listen, and the spirit and the bride say, Come. Isn't that great? Let him who hears come. And let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take the water freely. God is inviting many of us to him right now. Just come. Just come. Just like here, Noah, come in the ark. I invite you to respond. I invite you now. You know, for Noah, I invite you into the place of safety. Remember back in chapter 6, verse 12, it says that God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Remember, God sees all things. Nothing is missed by him. Nothing outwardly, not the motives of the heart. That's why you can cry out, like the psalmist says in confidence, You can respond to the invitation of God or a pastor or a friend. I think of all the invitations. Come to church. Come over to my house for Bible study. 
Let's go to dinner. Let's have a cup of coffee. I can think of all the invitations that God uses to bring people to himself through his church, through his word. And you know, God knows all things. You can, like the psalmist, respond to the invitation to God. In Psalm 54, verse 1 is one of those places. Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. It's so cool to receive an invitation from God. Now, back in Genesis 7, verse 2, talks about taking seven now of each clean animal, a male and a female, and critics of the Bible like to cry, contradiction, contradiction, back in chapter 6, there was the indication of taking two of every kind. Why now is God saying seven, and is there a contradiction at all? No, whenever, first of all, wherever there are seven, there are two. Um, so you know that's not a contradiction. But the extra clean animals, this is really neat, the extra clean animals that God is requesting additionally were anticipation of the new rule after the flood. The, the new covenant that would be coming that man after the flood could then eat meat and one of the seven surely would be to fulfill what's coming in Leviticus chapter 11 for sacrificial purposes. So often when critics come and say contradiction, there's two and seven, they're actually not contradictions, they're complement. They complement one another. And that's an important lesson to learn. I, I like to recommend this book. I think they've changed the title actually, but I'll just give you the old title and you can find it used uh, where you get books. But you can get the book, there's two actually volumes to it, When Critics Ask and When Skeptics Ask by Norman Geisler, G-E-I-S-L-E-R. And if you want to learn how to answer Bible difficulties, you want to learn, not only to just get some stock answer where, okay, I can answer it, but if you want to learn how to think through the text, is that what I love about that resource, I didn't know it at the time when I bought it as a new believer, but I, what I love and what I've learned through that resource is he gives you a few different options, and then you can process through the options and come to your own biblical con conclusion. And of course he does emphasize this is the one he thinks is the right option. But then you can process all the options and while you're doing that, now I'm telling you, you I didn't know it at the time, but now I'm telling you it's gonna happen. You're gonna learn how to critically think through the Bible. He's gonna teach you how to critically think of those popular passages that are difficult. Because don't let anyone ever tell you the, the Bible is, uh, doesn't have difficult passages. Oh, it does. There are difficulties in the Bible. There are challenges that are there, but you can learn how to handle the challenges and you can learn how to study to show yourself approved on this particular level. So it's When Critics Ask, When Skeptics Ask uh, by Norman Geisler. Good, good resource in the area of Bible difficulties. Okay, verse four. For, for after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And then verse five, I, I love these insights. Noah did according to, what does your Bible say? All, complete obedience. And you have, to, you have to think of it this way. You have to think of it this way. Noah has come all this way. Why would he compromise now? Like when it says he did all that God told him, okay, so he has come all this way. He's had all, he's found grace in the eyes of God. He's enjoyed this relationship, fellowship. He's obeyed him. And like he's come all this way. Why would he compromise now? And is that God's word to you today? 
You've come all this way. Why are you going to compromise now? You've come through all these trials, all these difficulties. You have been delivered from all of these sins. You've been making progress. Yeah, maybe it's not as much as you want. Maybe you're not as far as you want. Maybe you're not as mature as you want. But you're going to go back to the bottle now? After all this time, you're going to go back to doing pot now? You're going to go back to doing lines of coke now? You're going to go back and you're going to hang out in that bar? You've come this far. Why don't you follow Noah? Do all that he asks you to do. The step of obedience after obedience is a lot easier than you think. You've trained yourself. Obedience, obedience, obedience. The next natural step, you don't have to think about it, is obedience. You actually have to unthink obedience to compromise. You've set such a tone in your life of worship, adoration, obedience, abiding. Obedience is actually easier than compromise. I know compromise seems easier, but you've got to go through a lot of rebellious decisions to compromise after a life of obedience. But obedience, the next step, just do it. You've, been, you've come this far. And that's where Noah is. He's come this far. He's going to do all that the Lord commanded him. Verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the flood, waters, uh, flood of waters was on the earth. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, his sons' wives, went into the ark. They responded to the invitation God said, come. Noah said, yes. And he goes into the ark with his family. And it says that he went in because of the waters of the flood. Verse 8. Of clean beasts, of beasts that are unclean, of birds and everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark. To Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the water of the flood, the waters of the flood were on the earth earth. Now this was a huge step of faith, but they were prepared for it. They were prepared for it. God is preparing you today for what's up ahead. God is preparing you now through your current circumstances for what you have up ahead. And this was a huge step of faith to leave the known world and to go into the ark just with his family, to turn his back proverbially on everything he's known and everyone that he's known and everything that he's owned and he truly in obedience is stepping into the ark. By going into the ark, they separated themselves from the world and separated themselves to God. They went from danger to safety. You too need to make a similar decision, church. You need to separate yourself from the world. The Bible says that those that love the world don't have the love of the Father in them. And until you take those steps to separate yourself from the world, you're not really going to experience the fullness of what God has for you. You're always going to have this sense of, I got one foot in the world, living my own little world life, and I've got one foot in the church. And and as one pastor once said, you know, you have enough of Jesus to have a sense of, oh, there's joy and there's happiness ahead, but you've also got one foot in the world, so you've got enough of the world to make you miserable. And I'll tell you what, the world is going to swallow up your joy. The world is going to swallow up your happiness. The world is going to make you worried, fearful, anxious, selfish, self-centered. And you're going to lose that sensitivity of the brokenness and the humility that Jesus gave to us. That we follow Jesus. We don't follow a church. We don't follow a movement of churches. We don't follow pastors. We follow the Lord. Paul said, follow me, imitate me, but there's the key. I'll give you a practical example. 
We'll be able to do ministry together. We'll serve together. But Paul would say, follow me as, imitate me as I what? I imitate Christ. He's the example. And if you don't separate yourself from the world, if you don't drastically deal with your submersion in the worldly things, you're going to lose another year. Do you really, can you really afford to lose another year of your spiritual life? Can you really afford to lose another 10 years? Do you, you look back and you go, you know, I got caught up years ago and now I'm getting caught up again. Do you really have all of that time? Is that really being a good steward of the life that God has given to you? To honor him? Can I just say it this way? Don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? You've got to learn to separate yourself from the world and separate yourself to, you've got to get in the ark. The first step of getting in the ark, you know, that ark, that large boat structure that we looked at in size last time, in our last study, is a picture and a type of Jesus. Only those in the ark, obeying the command of God, will be saved. And didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? The ark is a picture of Jesus. There is no safety outside of Jesus. There is no future, no future hope outside of Jesus. The invitation, even at an altar call, is not to join a church. It's not to become religious. It's not to become a follower of a certain church or a certain person or a certain personality. It's an invitation into the ark. Thousands of years later, God is still inviting people into the ark. But now the ark is fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the invitation. Outside of Jesus... You're in the waters of judgment. You're surrounded with death. How do I know that? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You're living among death. You're living in death under the judgment of God. Outside of Christ, the Bible says that you are under the judgment of God. You know, the Old Testament, as we study through Genesis, you'll learn is filled with types and pictures And most of the types and pictures point to Messiah. And this one's very important. When a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, they turn their back on the world and commit to follow him, whatever the world means. For me, it was a very dramatic change. My life being born again was a literal transformation, both spiritually and practically. It required me to stop certain behaviors. It required me to stop hanging out in certain places. It required me to stop hanging out with certain people. Now, for me, it was a much more dramatic um, than many of you, perhaps, but the same requirement is for you to devote yourself to the things of God, to give yourself to him, to give yourself in adoration, to give yourself in, I was reading, I'm reading a book recently on how God uses pain and brokenness to develop. It just came out in the brother today in the chapter this morning. Uh, I, I haven't been able to sleep lately, so I've been up really early, so I'm doing extra devos in the morning, and he just put these two words together. I'm going to be thinking about it forever now. He put two words together that, that are beautiful, abiding and beholding. And that was what the chapter is all about. Abiding, staying put in Christ, and then beholding his glory. Just like we were praying tonight. 
just, just so in love with him and so thankful for him. And then when you're captured by his love, then you're confessing and you're just simply transparent before God. You want to be authentic and transparent to others? It starts with being authentic and transparent with God. Beholding and abiding. I thought it was so great. And this is a beautiful picture of the transforming work. The Bible says this about being born again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you could say this for Noah. If anyone is in, if Noah and his family are in the ark, if there's anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Doesn't that sound like this episode in the life of Noah? He's in the ark. It's a whole new life in existence. Everything around him is old and in the past. And when the ark finally settles and they get out, everything's new. Everything is new. Even though you guys can read ahead, (laughs) Noah's sinful nature didn't go anywhere. Uh, He gets in big trouble right after he gets out of, you know, not too long after he gets out of the ark. But you know, God doesn't abandon him, doesn't turn his back on him, doesn't say, oh, you're the wrong guy, Noah. I should have known that. But he continues in grace, pursuing him, helping him, serving him. So good. Notice verse 10. It came to pass after seven days, the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. And the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons were with them. They entered the ark. They and every beast, after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort, And they went into the ark, two by two, all the flesh of which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded. And the Lord shut him in. Mark that phrase. The Lord shut him in. How are you safe today? The Lord shut you in. Do you know what we learn in the New Testament? You are safe and secure in Jesus. Remember what Peter said? And wouldn't Peter know this? The great denier. Peter said, we are kept by the power of God. How are you saved tonight? How have you been saved for 10 years, 20 years, 10 minutes? You are kept by the power of God. You responded to the ark that God had created for you. He he put it there. He he had it. You responded to the invitation. You have come in. And how are you going to be saved? How are you going to close the door? Like Noah's doing nothing here. You know that? He's doing nothing. He's just responding to God, responding to God, cooperating with God. How is he going to be safe? How is he going to operate and navigate on the waters with this huge, you know, did he set up a rope where they can all come on together, the eight of us? Come on, ladies, you can do it. Come on, sons. No, what did he do? He's like, I came in. I don't, how are you going to close the door, Noah? I don't don't know. God didn't tell me that. (laughs) I have no idea how we're going to close the door. Oh, no. Well, how are we going to close the door? Oh, man, God's not faithful. I can't believe it. 120 years of faithfulness and obedience, and God's been speaking to me. And all these animals, you know, he's, he's, he's living in a walking miracle. All these animals coming to him, how God's offering, like all of this, and he's not freaking out. It's almost as if God doesn't give him time to freak out. He's just, boom. And it says right here, the Lord shut 
him in. You know, there's so much going on in this text. I mean, we could break these down week after week after week. A few things that I'll bring out to you. I think as the waters are flooding the earth, you know, they waited patiently for seven days. Another seven days back in verse 10 of mockery. Another seven days of I wonder, waiting on the Lord. Then the rain descends and panic and fear starts. And there, now in verse 11, there's this worldwide universal flood. And by the way, it was a worldwide universal flood. It wasn't just a little isolated water in a small part of the earth. It was worldwide. So much to be said on that. But what I'd like to emphasize on this worldwide flood that it is probably in the top five, maybe top ten truths of the Bible that is attacked constantly, constantly, constantly. I'm not going to read all the scriptures to you, but oh, maybe we should. We'll be here all night. That's fine. Job 22. Go back to Job. I, we haven't turned anywhere. Let's read these just so we can understand the Bible's perspective and a little bit of history on it. Let's go over to Job chapter 22 in verse 15. Job 22 verse 15. Will you keep to the old way which wicked men have trod, who were cut down before their time, whose foundations were swept away by a flood? Turn over to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. I'm going to go right. Isaiah 54, verse 9. You jot them down. Write them in the margins of your Bible so you can, somebody comes and go, I don't believe in the flood, and they start mocking the flood again. You can see from the scriptures from the scriptures where the Bible mentions the flood, Isaiah 54, 9, for this is like the waters of, what does your Bible say? Noah, the waters of Noah to me. For I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. So was it a worldwide flood? Yes or no, church? It's repeated here. Covered. It says they covered the earth. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, all the way back toward the end of the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, 1 Peter 3, chapter 20, says, who formerly were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, where the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. 2 Peter chapter 2, a couple pages over. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And that God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, the ancient world, not the ancient locality. He didn't spare the world. It was a worldwide flood. He spared Noah, saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So it wasn't just the earth, it was people that rejected him receiving his judgment. But I skipped over it because you know I went in order through the Bible. I skipped over probably the most important passage on the topic of the flood. It's in Matthew chapter 24. And a lot of these verses we we take for granted because we're reading the Bible all the time, we're studying the Bible all the time. But it's good to be reminded that we don't take these things for granted because listen to what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 24 Pick up there in verse 38. 
It is familiar. We've mentioned it many times in our study thus far, but see it in your own Bible, verse 38. It says, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. And although there is a lot of mockery toward the worldwide flood, you have to consider if there was no flood, then Jesus is a liar. Jesus is a liar. Or Jesus was caught up in, if it was, the flood was simply a mythological story of all generations, then Jesus was just believing myths. The one that died and rose again from the dead. The one that proved everything that he said. The third option, he's either a liar or believing the myths of the day and not truly God in human flesh. There's actually a third option, and that is that he believed in a worldwide flood and he spoke the truth because he was there. God in human flesh. Do you know practically every nation and people group throughout history has a flood story in their history? a worldwide flood story. The Samo Kubo tribe of New Guinea, the Athapatian Indians of America, the Papago Indians of Arizona, Brazilian tribes, Peruvian Indians, African Hottentots, natives of Greenland, native Hawaiian Islanders, the Hindus, the Chinese, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Persians, the Australian natives, on and on the list goes. Of, more than, of, the more two, of, of the more than 200 cultures that have their own account of a flood, a flood story, 88% of them, there is a favored family. In 70%, survival is due to a boat. In 95%, the sole cause of the catastrophe is a flood. 66% of the disaster is due to men, men's wickedness. In 67% of these stories, animals are saved. And in 57%, the survivors end up on a mountain. So where do you think they got this from? This is after the flood. (laughs) This is after Noah, not before. And you can see, even though the, the cultures don't have it right, they don't have it right because they don't have the truth of God's word. They're so close and yet so far. So close and yet so far. Not only that, but there's ancient evidence of the ark existing. In 275 BC, Berosus, a Babylonian historian, wrote, and I quote, But of this ship that grounded in Armenia, some part still remains in the mountains. In 75 AD, Josephus said the locals collected relics of the ark and showed them off during his day while he was alive. In 180 AD, Theophilus of Antioch wrote, and I quote, the remains of the ark are to this day seen in the mountains. But even if we had none of that, we have the testimony of Jesus Christ. His testimony. And the things, as I've shared in many studies before, that the world likes to dismiss and argue about, Jesus absolutely affirms without any question, without any hesitation. Verse 13, on the very same day, Noah's sons, Shem and Ham, Japheth, Noah's sons, they entered into the ark. Uh, They all went in, verse 16, they shut them in, verse 17. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days, the waters increased, lifted up the ark, it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. The ark was moved about on the surfaces of the, wa- of the surface of the waters. The waters prevailed, verse 19, exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. <clears throat> Why? Because judgment of God is thorough. 
and even progressive at times. God is patient, not willing that any should perish. We see that in the grace of God. It says, the waters prevailed 15 cubits, verse 20, upward, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on dry land died. So he destroyed all the living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things, birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Only those that are in Christ will experience eternal life. Only those. The waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. How did, God, how did Noah's family survive? God shut them in. How did they stay in the ark? God shut them in. How did they, the boat not sink? Because God gave instruction to cover it and pitch and make sure there is a covering inside and out. You know, thinking of that door as we close today, I'm just thinking how monumentally large the door must have been, how challenging it must have represented. I mean, Noah was human. The Bible doesn't give indication, but he, the Bible does tell us he's human. And I think many of us, if we're putting this whole thing together, I think I'm asking, how are we going to close the door? How do you, what do you think, Shem? I don't know, Dad. You're the one, man. We're just following you. And just talking about how are we going to do it? How I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm not sure. And it's just overwhelming. You don't know what to do. You have no idea how it's going to happen. I mean, God has brought you thus far, but now you're in a new situation, and you just don't know how it's going to be resolved. You don't know how the door is going to be shut. I, I was thinking how many big, big situations that are above our ability that we're facing even right now. And you're like, I don't know. How am I going to handle it? I think of the situations in our lives that are so big that only God can take care of them. Haven't you just found recently, I mean, just, haven't you just been learning through this whole season of life and our world that there's so much, so much outside of your control? And so much of faith and life is trusting in the Lord no matter what's happening around us. Some of you had some of the scariest health things you've ever experienced. You couldn't do anything about it. Oh, sure, you can get to the hospital, but then the doctors go, well, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Well, like, dude, you're no help. Yeah, it's so big. The Lord's going to have to take care of it. It's beyond the doctor. It's beyond the bank account. It's beyond human strength. It's beyond your experience. It's beyond what you've ever had. Ever. Noah's never experienced this before. And there are just things in our lives that are so big that only God can shut them. Only God can keep us safe. Only God can close. Only God can keep us protected. But the choice is yours. To experience that, will you walk with and trust in God? Or will you continue to trust in the arm of your own flesh? Will you continue to pull on that and pull on that and pull on that? And I have found over the years ministering to so many that some people choose their identity of victim and difficulty and hardship and all big doors in their life when God is just ready, like, come to me, I'm closing it. Get in, get in, get in. Abide in me. Take your identity as a follower of Christ 
a victorious man, a victorious woman, walk in the, I mean, you know what? The devil is so concerned with you learning who you are in Christ and living that way. So it keeps you distracted, trying to lie to you and deceive you because he knows those that live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, in the life and the identity that God has for you are unstoppable, unstoppable. And there we are. And I've been there looking at the door wondering, and I don't know, you're sitting in the ark, it's all covered, water's coming, you're exactly where God wants you to be, and you're worried about the door. And you know, how long did it take? Doors closed, now what? Well, I'll find something else to worry about, trust me, it'll be something else. But the Lord's going, no, I'll take care of that, and I'll take care of that, and I'll take care of that. And if you don't come to me and trust me, you don't get in, you're going to keep messing things up, and you may mess it up to a place that's irretrievable. You may come to a place, I may come to a place where there's no reversal. And as we look to this, yes, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch his life and the faithfulness of God. But this is a sorrowful time on the earth. Rebellious man is getting what they asked for. They are experiencing, just like the Great Tribulation, we're excited about the rapture, we're excited, Maranatha, yes. But the Great Tribulation is a sad time on the earth. It is the demonstration, the full final demonstration of man's rebellion. I mean, rocks are falling on them and they're still not repenting. They're still not turning. Crafting more evil until they finally face final judgment. So Father, we pray as we consider today the truths of your word. We do uh, receive the truth of Noah, the man of rest. And we choose to rest in you by coming in and answering your invitation. We receive the invitation and we respond to you. And the big doors in our lives, the situations beyond our ability, God, give us faith to trust you. And you'll shut us in. We'll be kept by your power. You'll be very gracious to us. And for that, we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.